Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We're also going to be doing a, another fall time grab bag, focusing on some of the notable films and TV shows that we caught recently. And we're calling this thing the Neapolitan November Grab Bag. All right, we're going to start out with some news, going to catch up a bit. We're going to bring back our yay or nay framework for it. So to start out with, Shang-Chi, it has got a sequel coming. How do you feel about that yay or nay, Dylan? I mean, it was inevitable. I don't really have a yay or nay because I kind of already figured it was going to happen. I mean, come on. They already set up a sequel. That is true. But yeah, it's going to be at least, well, we'll still see if they're going to try to make some of that into a a Disney Plus show, but hopefully all the teases we got at the end of it are going to be for the actual Shang-Chi sequel in theaters as a movie, yeah. not some Disney Plus show. Don't yeah. need that. Just incorporate it all into one movie. Yeah. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. Next, we have Nicolas Cage. He's going to play Dracula in the new movie from Universal Con uh, Renfield, which is written by Robert Kirkman and Ryan Ridley of Rick and Morty fame. Nicholas Holt is also in that movie as the title character, and Chris McKay is the director. How do you feel about this upcoming project? Yay. Yay. I'm I'm yay for anything with Nicholas Cage. <laughs> for real, he's having a bit of a renaissance lately, isn't he? Because he's fantastic. I'm here to <laughs> suck your blood. <laughs> Let's hope we get a good, <laughs> good couple memes out of this one. I'm sure we will. Uh, all right, next we have new... A new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie is coming to Netflix in 2022. How do you feel about that? That's a big nay. I'm also a big nay, even though I have no investment. It's bad. It's It's going to be bad. It's just going to be bad. It's just going to be bad. So don't do it. So just don't do it. If it's going to be bad, just don't do it. Don't go see it. If nobody goes see it, they won't make any more. So just nobody go. Nobody watch it on Netflix. And it'll bomb and they won't want to make any more. So nobody see it. Nobody watch it. It'll be bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll get the idea to make more original movies like they do with TV shows. Right. I'm also tired of this trend of the horror movies. When they do a new movie in the franchise, they just rename it the original. Yeah. Well, we had that with Halloween. We have that with Scream coming out in January mm-hmm. 2022. And now in February of 2022, we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's just named the same thing as the original one. Just do a new name. Why are you doing this? Well, it's because it's a remake. They're doing the exact same thing over and over again. Well, but half the time they're the sequels. Like the Halloween one was a direct sequel to the original Halloween. That is funny. It right. just called Halloween. And Scream is also like those are the returning characters, right? So it's a sequel. The question is, is this going to be a sequel or is this going to be a remake? It I should just be a remake, honestly. Like, I don't mind if they do it as a remake. If it's just a sequel, it's no point. Right. Yeah, I have no clue. But we will see how that how that comes about. Yeah. Next, we have Kevin Feige. He has confirmed that Charlie Cox will return as Daredevil in the MCU. That's a yay. I'm giving it a yay. A big yay. A solid yay. Solid yeah, yay. We'll see. The expectations are that he might show up in No Way Home. We'll see if mm-hmm. that happens. 
but Feige, <laughs> he's just getting tired of it at this point. All the leaks and whatnot. He's guys, like, guys, just stop <laughs> guessing. Stop guessing right, okay? Guys, come on. Guys, come on. So you're it's really like every time I buy Alexa a gift and she guesses it right, I'm just like, come on, come <laughs> on. For real. So yeah, we're going to see that at some point. We'll see if it'll be during this holiday season, if it'll be a nice gift that Feige gives us, or if it'll come way later down the line. But you can't expect Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. Woo! And another holiday treat we got recently, Spider-Man is just, I mean, he is the dominant pop culture force right now. We have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 had a little teaser trailer. Did you catch that, Dylan? That's going to be a big yay. <laughs> a, a big yay, an ASMR yay. Did you see the teaser trailer, though? You oh, did? yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> He's getting oh, excited. It was great. It was so good. I'm very excited. Yeah, that should be fantastic. It's coming out. It's still it's being directed by the same guy that we knew about previously, right? The guy who did the final four episodes of Avatar. Is that true? That's who it was when they first announced it. I don't know if it has stayed that same guy. So let's let's find out while you keep talking about it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not aware of that knowledge. I do know that who's it? Chris Lord and Phil something. Yeah, they did the old one. Yeah, the yeah, first yeah. one. Well, they did not coming it. back, or are they coming one back of to them, produce. Uh, on the first movie, one of them wrote it, and one of them, and they then they both produced it. One of them co-wrote it, and one of them produced it. And then in this new one, they should be involved in some just, Yeah, Phil Lord co-wrote the screenplay for the first one. <laughs> And Chris Miller helped produce it. So they were like big parts of it. And then in the second one, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are both co-writing it. Oh, look at that. And it is being directed by... Oh, it's, it's three people again. I think it's three completely different people. It's Interesting. Justin K. Thompson, who I've never heard of and he's not loading. Kemp Powers, who you know from... Uh, what did he, he worked on Soul, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And Joaquin Dos Santos, who directed the last four episodes of Avatar, among several other episodes of Avatar. Oh, look at that. So we got some good talent attached. Yeah. So that should be beautiful. And they're also, like the teaser trailer said, part one. So they're making part one and part two of Across the Spider-Verse back to back. So we're getting a guaranteed two new Spider-Verse movies. Fantastic. And again, it is just it's a it's good just, time to be a Spider-Man fan. It's interesting what they're doing, how they did the first movie with three directors, and now they're doing it again with three completely different directors. I think that's yeah. very weird. Because originally it was just Joaquim Dos Santos was uh, credited the role of director and nobody else had been. But then they added two more people, which is interesting. Maybe there's maybe it's an easy workflow because there's different kinds of animation styles that they're doing, and maybe they break it up that way. I don't know. But... It's an interesting choice, and if it worked the first time, it'll probably work this time, too. Indeed. Coming off the Oscar-winning Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So it's got a lot to live up to. Yeah, it does. Now we can do our box office breakdown for this past weekend. We're going to start with Encanto made $12 million in our first place. It's been a slow weekend. It is. Again, nothing major came out, so it's just been the leftovers. Um, and so, yeah, had some steady holds, 50% really across the board. Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters Afterlife came in with $10 million. 
it has now crossed the 100 million mark domestically. Woo! So that is good for a good showing for Afterlife. We'll see if it is enough to earn itself a sequel, because I know I think Sony wanted to end up doing that. Mm. So we'll see if any announcements come out in the near future. But it's doing well. It's got respectable, respectable gross. Yeah. House of Gucky made seven million. <laughs> Christmas with the Chosen got four million. Eternals made also four million, which brings its domestic total to one hundred and fifty six million and its worldwide total to a abysmal three hundred and eighty four million. I mean it's not abysmal, but it's, it's definitely... devastating to me. <laughs> it was my number that one choice. It's true. Yeah, that was no great. It was your number one choice. It was my first choice. Yeah, that was my your first, first your draft finals. pick, your first yes. draft pick. Yes, that's crazy. What? That's insane. I really thought people were gonna like it. I really thought it was actually going to be good, and I thought people would come <laughs> out in like droves to see it. Well, unfortunately, not, yeah, the case. not the case at all. You win, Ryan. Just take it. <laughs> we yeah, we'll to, talk about. We don't have to wait until January. You can just have it. We're just going to order you a little mini belt for you to have, and it's going to say Ryan Hill winner. But I want to see the final count. Sure. I'm to see how <laughs> how much you got destroyed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Go ahead. Keep going. They're keep talking reading. about the Spider-Man No Way Home may get a may get 150 million to 200 million domestic opening. God damn it. Which would eclipse Bastard. just about every other film <laughs> Their entire domestic run, except for Shang-Chi and Venom. That would be nuts if it opens and it already is the number one domestic movie. We will see. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Going to be a great, great episode of the box office show. Oh, yeah. That comes out. <laughs> All right. The next one, Resident Evil, Raccoon City, 2.6 million. After that was Clifford with 1.8 million. Dune, it came back for some IMAX theaters this past weekend, IMAX screens, and it got 1.8 million, bringing its domestic total to 104, and it has 382 worldwide, so it just got surpassed by Eternals, but still a good showing near the 400 million mark. Will Smith's King Richard has made 1.2 million, bringing its domestic total to 13. And Sword Art Online, progressive, with 1 million. (laughs) What is that? The progressive part or the Sword Art Online? The whole thing. Uh, Do you not know Sword Art Online? No. (laughs) Have you ever heard Mason do the Asuna Hatata? You never heard that? Is it just an anime? It is, yeah. Okay, never mind. (laughs) But that's um, that's a (laughs) long-running inside joke we have, which comes from Sword Art Online. This new thing, I don't know what... It is a new movie based on it, but probably I have no clue. It's progressive. Apparently, it made one million, so good for the SAO fans still coming out to see it. Yep. This weekend, we do have one new movie coming out. It's West Side Story by Steven Spielberg. Indeed. What are your predictions for West Side Story? I think. I have no clue because it's a musical and those have not been faring well in 2021. But it's Steven Spielberg. It's Spielberg. It's There's also Story. nothing else People new coming it. out this weekend. That's true. But it's also still just a musical. And these days musicals are bad. And so uh, mm, I'll go with mm, mm, 17 million. 17 million. 
I think I that's think, fair. I don't think he can crack 17. Oh, tragic. I'll go the optimistic route. I'll say 22 million. All right. Well, we'll see who's closest. We will. Dylan, cool. what are your opinions on that movie as a whole? We'll see you think when it's going to be out. good, Dylan? We'll see when it comes out. We'll see when see, it that's, comes out. Oh, wait. I'll hold my opinion. Even though I think it's going to be a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> but there you go. You got to wait till it comes out. And you got to see it. And then you can bash on it all you want. At least you'll have some ammunition to support why you are going to hate it. It's just, it's just in my time, from the movies that I've seen, remakes have been 90% worse nine percent as good and one percent better so the odds are not in west side story's favor what's the one percent better it's let me think cape fear i like martin scorsese's cape fear gotcha okay well i am pro steven spielberg's west side story i think it'll be good at least as good. Let's go see it together this weekend, you and me, and then we'll both walk out of the theater as disappointed as we were on House of Gucci. Now it won't be that bad. <laughs> it won't be House of Gucci bad. I, I don't think it could be that. I would bad. hope not. That would be catastrophic. That would be hilarious. Uh, won't be able. They to. all have really bad accents. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, at least they had authentic casting this time. So. Oh, are you on set all weekend? That's not the case. Yeah, so I won't be. All right. Well, it's a bummer. I'll go see without you so I can shit on it on our next <laughs> episode and you can't do anything about it. So, ha. Huh. Tragic. But yeah, that will be interesting to see what you say. People have been liking it. At least the initial reception has been positive. So, I hope I love it. I think it'd be hilarious. That would be. I like it even more than the original. You come out. It's the 1%. <laughs> I'm like, Steven Spielberg's a genius. I'm just in tears. That would be phenomenal. It rockets up to your number one. Of the year of the world of all time it's my favorite movie <laughs> ever made you put it on the list it goes with the other films it's just a picture of steven spielberg <laughs> yeah. all right so yeah we will see how it does box office wise next week and then whenever we do end up catching it we'll be able to share our opinions on it our yep. informed opinions all right now we can do our grab bag reviews in neapolitan november we're going to start with, it's going to be a, a spoiler-free review because That's I true. haven't seen some of these. Ryan hasn't seen some of these, so it's going to be a grab bag from both of us. We haven't seen all of them. We're going to start with The Power of the Dog. This is one that you saw, Ryan. It's on Netflix, and it's uh, written and directed by Jane Campion. I don't know why you wrote Champion. And, <laughs> and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kristen Dunst, I'm sorry, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith-McPhee. So uh, you tell me, tell me all about it. Tell me how much you liked it, how much you didn't like it. Go ahead, go for it. Well, first of all, how dare you not watch this film? <laughs> I carved out two hours of my night last night so I could watch it because I was like, dang, he really wanted to see it. This was the one that it was going to be the centerpiece <laughs> of the grab bag. Got to make sure I watch it. I really should have watched it yesterday, but I like <laughs> went to go put it on and I looked at it and I said, I it's going to be slow. And I just don't want to watch something. I've, I've worked three days in a row this past weekend. And yesterday I had my one day off. And today I'm back to work after we finish recording. And I'm like, I just, I can't watch something slow right now. I'll literally just pass <laughs> out. I couldn't do it. So I put on three episodes of Succession from season two. And it was great. It's so good. Ah, uh, it was, it was the right choice. 100%. Cool. 
So I'm glad you enjoyed your time. For me, I mean, I pretty much enjoyed it as well. It's definitely, it is slow. It's meditative for sure. I knew it would be. But it is absolutely gorgeous. Dude, the cinematography on this. Yeah, I see that you wrote in our notes. uh, That cinematography is just, uh. (laughs) ugh. Yeah. It's so good, bro. All the, the landscape shots are absolutely phenomenal. Like It's some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen. If only Dune could have done that. <laughs> it did enough. It did well enough. But it did it enough. definitely doesn't hold a candle to what was going on in this film. Like that stuff was all incredible. And they do a lot of interesting framing shots as well. Like where they're, the characters are in the barn, but mm-hmm. then the barn doors are open and you see the massive like mountainous landscape in the back. Beautiful stuff. Perfection. It also does a lot of smart composition choices um, in order to display character dynamics. There's this one scene. It's one of the best scenes in the whole film where it's uh, Kirsten Dunst is playing the piano and trying to like get this melody right. And then <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is just upstairs aggressively playing the banjo alongside of her, but doing it way better because he's like a virtuoso or whatever at the banjo. And she's self-conscious about her inability to play the piano that well and so he's just being so vicious and mean like showing her up doing that in the shots that they choose to convey like it's one is just a wide shot but it's like enclosed in from the staircase and the walls of her down at the piano and then it cuts to just this massive close-up of benedict cumberbatch's face as his fingers are just going to town on the banjo it's incredible <laughs> stuff um so this really is a shoe in for best cinematography at the Oscars. Like so far, it is my favorite. It would be my personal choice. Ooh, if I was in and I picked it for my for my Oscar draft. Ooh, That's true. this is in your Oscar draft. So at least on that front, I think you will. I will say and- though, I I am thinking that that's probably correct but i will hold out my thoughts until i see tragedy of Macbeth because it's the only one that i haven't seen that might stand up to power of the dog even though i haven't even seen power of the dog it's just i've seen all the other ones and i've seen clips of the power of the dog and it already stands high above mm-hmm. all the other ones i've seen so it's the power of the dog and the tragedy of Macbeth are up against each other for best cinematography pretty much in my in my opinion gotcha gotcha um but yeah so there's definitely a lot of style to this film um, and the Western sort of look that it's going for because um, it's set in like the 1920s in Montana. Um, it's very well done. Like it definitely immerses you into that. Um, and it's an interesting approach because it's not the typical sort of Western that has guns ablazing and whatnot. You do get a lot of horse riding, got a lot of nice views of like cattle going down the landscapes but yeah i do love all that shit <laughs> mm-hmm. let me tell you the the best part of brokeback mountain for me was the first 40 minutes where they're just shirting they're just herding cattle or they're just herding sheep it's just them just riding through the mountains with like 100 sheep it's the best part of that movie mm-hmm. it's awesome yeah we get some good shots of that here in power of the dog also i don't know how much in brokeback mountain there is but there's so many shots of things that are just unnecessarily erotic like when people are on top like getting on a saddle or whatnot like there's these close-ups or when people are using animal hide to create a rope and he's like pulling it and you're just seeing the like veins popping out on his hands and there's a reason for it in this movie you'll end up seeing but i was like wow is this what brokeback mountain also did have you not seen brokeback mountain no i mean we've talked about this you watched it but i 
still haven't gotten around to. Yeah, no, all the eroticism is contained in uh, the fucking scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's not a lot of like erotic imagery other than them taking each other down. Gotcha. Yeah, there are a lot of those little shots scattered throughout part of the dog. Um, And they're very interesting, like very well done. And it all is motivated by these things that they're trying to explore, including masculinity. Like that's been one of the major things about it, particularly mm-hmm. like Benedict Cumberbatch's character, who's more of that tos- toxic masculine character. Yeah. Versus Jesse Plemons, who is playing that like withdrawn, soft-spoken, mm-hmm. gentle character. And I, I really want to see him go all out in a role soon because I just can't keep seeing him do that like very soft-spoken, gentle. He's gonna. Kind of character. I don't know if it's still a soft-spoken ca- character, but he's gonna be the lead technically in the martin scorsese movie killers of the flower moon yeah i hope he's aggressive and he gets like this big moment where he's getting explode and something because mm-hmm. i need to see it between Breaking bad and el camino and this and fargo like, he doesn't he never explodes in fargo either. yeah it's been like the same and it's very good and he's his whole career is just him building up and he never explodes <laughs> but i just want to see him let loose i just want to see him go to town Oh, dude, he's in Game Night. He's so good in that movie. Oh, really? Oh, he's so good. He's so funny. This is, I think I told you the joke where he talks about the Frito-Lay. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. All right, go ahead. Keep going. Um, but yeah, but then him, who's yeah, that more gentle figure, and then Cody Smith-McVie, who plays Peter, who is Kirsten Dunst's son in the film, and um, he's also like definitely more of that effeminate type of man who's like making little um roses with paper like cutting them out and they're great stuff and then benedict cumberbatch burns it when he's at the table because he's just being a schmuck and trying to like die just take power and control for himself and so he does it by bullying other people very vicious very sad but yeah so he takes on that role um and then you see how you know, they all interact with each other and how Benedict Cumberbatch is essentially trying to portray some facade in order to protect himself and mm-hmm. avoid his insecurities and whatnot. And so all of that, I think, is effective. But there's also a nagging feeling about, like, it is very slow and meditative, but it also feels in a way meandering. Like, the way that it'll try to shift between these three correlationships that Benedict Cumberbatch has, like, with his brother and then with rose who forms a relationship with his brother and then with peter like it's sort of we drop george who is jesse Plemons, and then rose towards the end of it and it just felt weird that we would spend kind of a lot of time on them in the beginning and then shift to this other character that we didn't spend hardly any time on in the beginning so i don't know and it also the way that everything takes place here like there's a lot of it is conveyed in looks and in like shots of people against mm-hmm. the beautiful landscapes and the mountains and the clouds. Yeah. Um, and very little of it is brought through, like the characterization is brought through in the dialogue. Little of that happens. So it mm-hmm. feels very subtle, which can be good, but it also feels lifeless because of that. Like, I don't know how much I actually connected to some of these characters like specifically george and rose their romance mm-hmm. just didn't feel any of it at all and partially like there is maybe that's the some, point. 
yeah, there's some intentionality. And I can like see these things. Like I think Jane Campion is doing a lot of these things intentionally and trying to keep some elements ambiguous in order to really keep you guessing um, and have you pay attention. But then it's also like the drawback of that is whether it's real or not, I don't really care for it. I don't really care about that relationship. So for me, it is very compelling. But I don't know how much emotional attachment, how much feeling mm-hmm. it brought out of me. And so that's the biggest drawback for it. Um, and the ending is pretty interesting. Of course, I'm not going to go into it, but it does hold you. Like throughout this thing, a lot of it, I'm like, what is going on? What's happening here? Like I say that throughout much of the film. And it does keep me wanting to see like, okay, what is the end game here? Where are we going to end up? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in a way it is satisfying. But it does leave you with the questions of like, why... Like, what did all that mean? What was the wow. takeaway we were meant to have? Wow. Wow. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's sort of mixed on this. And I think it is one of those films that mm-hmm. benefit from a second viewing. Okay. Um, now I have to watch, it, watch twice. it twice. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to watch it a second time. Maybe as it gets closer. If, like, it really does mm-hmm. clean up in the Oscar nominations. I'll be like, okay, I got to give this another another try to see it. But what, what nominations do you think it's a shoe in for? Just think, nominations. Uh, da, 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 da. I think it's got to get cinematography. It's probably going to get directing and screenplay. Best picture. Uh, score, maybe. But the person who scored this, I believe, also scored Spencer. And I feel like Spencer is more of a showy thing yeah, that would Johnny get nominated. Greenwood, right? Yeah, as compared to this one, which is... Um, I feel like slightly. he should get one for both. I just I like Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, he's good. It's about time he gets one. But what um, about actor? With actors, I think Cumberbatch definitely will. And I don't know if Kirsten Dunst will. Like, maybe, but it seems like it'll be pretty mm-hmm. crowded for that. So maybe not. And then with supporting, Plymouth definitely won't. And Cody McPhee might, but... I wouldn't really see it. I feel it's definitely. I want Jesse Plemons to get a nomination. Yeah, not for this one. I want him to get it for. What about uh, production design? Production design, I wouldn't say so. Costuming, definitely could. What about makeup and hairstyle? Maybe any of the not that like wild though. It's harder to predict some of the other ones like editing, sound design, sound mixing. Editing it might as well. I feel like editing has a good shot. Okay. But sound design and sound mixing, those are reserved for like big picture, like epics and things like that. Yeah, nothing really stood out to me. So Dune will probably not only get the nomination for both of those, but will probably win both of those too. Indeed. (laughs) So yeah. So how would you rate it out of five uh, veiny hand rope pullings? (laughs) Um, I would give it 3.5. Really? Yeah. It's oscillating between like a 3.5 and a 4. And I don't know. Upon further reflection, it might it might rise to a 4. Because uh-huh. I did, when I woke up today, like I was thinking of some of those shots. There's a, there's a scene of him like laying in grass and doing something with a, ooh, hello, with this rag or this handkerchief. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen. Well, I can't wait to watch it twice. <laughs> so yeah, that's it's... what I'll do this week. 
as well as the Christmas movie. So if, if oh, you're not watching the Christmas <laughs> movies, go onto our Instagram and uh, start watching those Christmas movies. I've already watched all six of the ones we're supposed to watch. And tonight, you kept up with all of them? That's a great oh, yeah. And tonight's Joy You Noel. Oh. I'm have to rent that one. I had to rent Krampus. Krampus is great. Really? We'll, we'll talk about it on the Christmas special, but I I have liked every single movie that I've watched so far. There has not been a single letdown. Like not only like, but like really, really like. Like I had a good time with every single one so far. We'll see okay. about the rest of them. I've never seen Bad Santa and I haven't seen Gremlins in a while, so we'll see. Let's move on to our next movie for the grab bag reviews of Neapolitan November. It's King Richard. Now you saw you saw this whole movie. And uh, I walked in on Spencer watching it, so I saw the the second half of this movie. So let's let's get into it. So you you talk about the story as a whole, and then I'll get into the parts that I liked. Right. I mean, so it's definitely it's based on the true story. So in regards to spoilers, I don't know if that we can really do too much because you know what happens at the end of this. This yeah. is just charting how they began, mm-hmm. and a big part of how they began is with their father Richard Williams, who set out to essentially he was like you know what we need to do he was saying to his wife we need to make us some tennis stars so they had two babies back to back venus and serena williams and they were training them from the early age of like four or something maybe even before then to to be tennis stars going to the track uh to the tennis courts every day training them trying to get them seen by certain coaches since tennis is definitely one of those sports it's hard to break into if you are not inordinately wealthy and have connections and are also white. So the story is him trying to do that, trying to provide them a good life, but then also getting them to that superstardom that he knows they can reach and that would help give financial security to the whole family. Um, and so that story is definitely great. One of the biggest highlights of this film for me, the heart of this film, is those Williams girls, mm-hmm. they're great actors. Like they absolutely nailed it. And yeah. all of them too. Like even the ones beyond the people playing Serena and Venus. Mm-hmm. They were their great. chemistry with Will Smith is great. And, is. and the mother, yeah. Yeah, very, very good. So that was a big surprise because it wouldn't have worked if they were bad. <laughs> like this is definitely meant to be Will Smith like his film, his performance piece. But if we didn't like or care about those characters and if they didn't have chemistry with each other and with as you said, with the father and the mother, then it just would not have worked. And thankfully, it did. So that that was a big thing going for it. Um, and yeah, it's just the a nice sort of sports drama of them coming from um, rags to riches. Yeah. So what did you think about it? Some of the parts the I half saw. that you saw. Yeah, the second half. Uh, I really liked... Will Smith's performance, I thought he was doing really good. I thought it was very, like, unique and and definitely, like, on par with how Richard Williams actually was. I think he had a good grasp on the character. Uh, I like the dynamics, like you said. I missed out on knowing anything about their first coach. I just saw him get fired. Like, that's the part <laughs> of him that I saw. But I got to know their second coach, who was John Bernthal, and he's great. This is, like, one of his best performances I've seen. He's so good. I love John Bernthal in this movie. He's hilarious. Absolutely hysterical. Uh, I like the the big finale that's happening. It's the big, I mean, it's history, so I can spoil it. It's a fact. So, like, it's, it's a fact. There's a big tennis match between Venus and whoever the number one player in the world was at the time. Who I can't remember her name. But 
It's very tense. The fact that I did not... The thing about sports movies that I don't like is that the end is always a big match. It's always the big final match. And it's either they win and there's it's a big champion of them winning or they lose and it's the Rocky ending. Like, those it's the only two endings you can do. Right. And that so, like, I've seen both of them a billion times. And so I'm sick of it. And so I don't really like sports movies as much. But because this movie wasn't as much of a sports movie as it was a family movie about their relationships together, it felt more interesting to watch because I was like, it doesn't matter if she wins or if she loses. It's about how they stay together as a family. And that's more of the finale that I'm expecting is this different sort of approach to it. So I was more invested in that sort of third act uh, end all match between Venus and the lady. So I was more invested in it than I would have been if it was just a normal sports movie. If it was just about if it was just about the two of them and not just their father as well, that probably would have been bored. So I'm glad they centered it around him and the whole family. So I I like that a lot more. I think it was great. Yeah. I also think it's very interesting how Richard, the real Richard Blunt, the actual story. I think it's very interesting how he took them out of competition just so that they could be kids for a long time because he didn't want them to be burned out. I think that's very interesting. Yeah. That to me was one of the biggest drawbacks for the film was they didn't really like that a big chunk of it was them just over in Rick Macy, who who's John Bernthal is playing him mm-hmm. in their his like training camp place. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing is just about whether or not he's going to let them go back into tournaments. Like I know that to me just sapped a lot of the energy from it because it felt like we were going to get to like we saw the her doing well initially when she was in the tournaments. And we seemed like, OK, this is the course we're going to take. It's real history that he took them out of the tournaments. Yeah. Um, but I just I don't know for me that being such a large chunk of the movie is this question of ooh, whether or not he's going to come around and let them go back into the tournaments. I like just it. felt uninteresting to me. And it also, I think, created a lot of problems with how they were trying to portray this King Richard character because they had Venus and Serena as producers on the film. So they had to do it in a way where they wouldn't be upset at how this family was portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also, I think, wanted to be at least somewhat authentic to how King Richard was. They definitely, I think, toned it back. But for me, the issue was we start out with him pushing his young daughters, who were supposed to be like 10 at that time, to train every day, do really well in school, all that good stuff. But they're out at the tennis courts in the rain, at, like late at night after their homework's done or whatever, but still doing all that stuff. And then we see the neighbor character who's like, you got to stop pushing them so hard. Like that is the first scene is she goes, hey, stop pushing your kids so hard. And he says, watch your, like, care about yourself. Don't pay attention to my girls. Don't talk to them again. And then we see later when she calls the police on the Williams family. That's the scene I walked in on. Oh, that was the scene? Yeah. Um, then you saw I, do, I had no idea. Half. I had no idea why she called the police on them. Right. Well, she's calling the police because she thinks there's not like child neglect, but I don't know what you would call it, but just overworking the kids, mm-hmm. um, which I guess maybe like the abuse. I don't know what she said to get them there, but that was her reasoning. And then we see King Richard go, yes, I am being hard on them because I'm keeping them off the streets. Like I'm doing this for a reason. It's a good thing. And then we see the mom go across the street mm-hmm. to absolutely lambast the the that neighbor and say, don't you ever 
like think about my kids again or call them again or whatever. Um, so we're seeing that neighbor and her concern and like butting into the affairs of that family as bad. Her concern that the kids are getting overworked is bad. King Richard, who is over, who is working them hard by his own admission, is good. Then when we were at the actual tennis tournaments and we see, and I did think this was effective, the way that we were seeing like how the other kids would respond when they lose and how they're like frustrated and then the parents as well. Mm-hmm. He's seeing all of that and then he goes, oh, and I guess I forget what her name was, but the one tennis player that also got burnt out early. Yeah. Like she, um, she was like 17. Yeah. Yeah. Like that paired with seeing how the spoiled kids were reacting when they um, lost. He's like, okay, I need to preserve some amount of childhood for my kids and not work them so hard. So I'm going to take them out of the tournaments and have them in a perpetual training program at Rick Macy's, um, which is incredible that that dude did that, by the way, the f- like four years that they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was paying for the house and their job and their food and their Disney tickets and Disney tickets. Yeah. And then <laughs> where he said that one thing was like, oh, this is a nice house or a nice car. Who gave you that? And King Richard was like, don't do that. You're better than that. You're, be- you're a better man than that. I was like, what a petty thing to say, because he is the one that was like giving all that stuff up. I mean, that's kind of the character is. I mean, yeah, but I thought it was just funny the way that like it's a great character moment for Richard to be able to like, yes, be the one that is the beneficiary of all that stuff and then make Rick Macy seem like a total schmuck for pointing that out. Good stuff. But it did make me very frustrated with the Richard Williams character because he's being portrayed as good for working them hard starting them off at four years old and essentially planning out their entire life before Mm -hmm. they were born and then putting them on that path and then simultaneously he's getting praised for going against their expressed wishes we see vena saying to rick macy you got to talk to my dad because i want to be in the tournaments Mm -hmm. going against his kids expressed wishes in order to keep them out of tournaments in order to prevent them from having burnout to keep them as kids like he gets praised for that as well. And then he gets praised later on um, when he's talking with Serena and she's upset because she's not hitting the, you know, big tournaments at the same point as Venus because she's younger than Venus. And then he goes, you know, I had this all planned out. You're going to be in her shadow, but that'll make you tougher and stronger and you'll become the best player ever. You'll do even better than her. And I was like, that... Are they really attributing? That yeah, I didn't. I didn't to like his that plan because I'm like, number one, no, you didn't plan out. Like, you just had a younger daughter, and obviously, she's not going to be as developed physically at the same. You don't point know. She could have been sister. shit for all you know. You, you can <laughs> you can't plan that out. Well, exactly. She hates tennis. That as well. I'm like, you did not plan out that your younger daughter would be kept in the shadow and then would be made tougher by that, and therefore become the best of the daughters. Like what? You did not plan that. And the fact that they said that he did, I thought was ridiculous. And then they did it again at the end credit scene or the titles uh, end credits where they're like, yes. And just as Richard planned, Serena Williams has gone on to become the most decorated tennis player of all time. And I'm like, uh, they're really going to say, like, I don't know. They wanted to portray him as overbearing in some respects. Like with that kitchen scene with where he's arguing with his wife, mm-hmm. she's like, 
showing, hey, number one, you didn't do all this by yourself. Like this isn't just your plan. I was out there with Serena Williams while you were there with Venus training at the coach. I was still at our neighborhood courts, making sure that she was doing good and keeping up with her lessons. Um, so you didn't do this all by yourself. Also, they dropped the thing about him having like other kids and other kids yeah. showing up at the house, which I wish they would have gone in more on. Because I looked up, apparently this kid has, he's got like a dozen kids <laughs> scattered throughout places. He also currently has a wife, well, an ex-wife, who's the same age as Venus. And they had a kid uh -oh. who's now like four years old. This man's like 80 something. Like he just seems like a total schmuck. And they didn't really go into like, yeah, like that favoritism that he paid to these particular kids that would be able to give him a good life so that he was able to, you know, have financial security, which obviously worked for the other kids in that family, mm -hmm. but not all the other kids that apparently this man was having around town. So I don't know. It seems like they wanted to kind of show like, oh, maybe he was overbearing and too hard on the kids and he was making it all about himself in some respects. But then they're also like, well, he had a point and he actually everything he wanted came true. So it was okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like how they didn't come come down hard on one of those two sides. I don't think you can have both. Uh, or at least you could have both, but they didn't dive into the nuance enough in order for me to appreciate it and think that they intentionally did so. It feels like they tried to mm -hmm. have it both ways and therefore didn't explore as much as they could. And it made it less enjoyable for me that they did that. Okay, so how would you rate this movie out of five... John open Burns, stances. Short shorts. <laughs> or that too dude the open stands thing is that is there something real to that or not i just don't know it happened a lot earlier in the film so maybe you missed it but there's this whole thing about him saying the open stands he's arguing it was with the first coach and he as they were training he kept saying to venus he's like remember the open stands remember the open stands and the other coach is like no the open stands doesn't help at all because this isn't that you lose power blah 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 but king richard like kept it up throughout the whole thing is it real? Is the open stance real? I have real? no I idea. Don't know. But anyway, anyway, how would you rate it? Out of how many? What was it? Five. Uh, John Bernthal short shorts. John Bernthal short shorts in the open stance. I will give three. I feel like I would also give it three, but I haven't seen the first half, so I'm not going to officially rate it just yet. I like the first half a little better, but it also leans into some like, which again, it's the actual truth. Like the man did get beat up by that gang or whoever and it was also weird how they like became friendly to him afterwards but anyway they where he just gets beat up initially like very early on and it helps us like relate to him and when i was like that feels like kind of a cheap thing to make us sympathize like we already care he's out here with the van full of daughters trying to do good things for them i don't mm -hmm. know if we needed to see him get beat up in front of them in order to pity or sympathize with them but i do think the first half was better but i also like the ending as well and john bernthal's great it's just that section where it's like the main story i like that problem section. is the bit about oh he's kept the kids out of the tournament and as someone who's afraid to the talk first to him. part of the movie i like that section yeah i don't know it sort of lost it for me but still overall effective movie i mean three stars it's not bad so yeah all right i want to skip belfast and arcane real quick and we'll come back to them because i want to talk about tick tick boom next interesting so I watched this movie twice. Really? You know, seen yeah, I watched it once by myself, and then Spencer wanted to watch it with Carla, or I think it was Bobby, maybe. Somebody. I know Joe was there. And so we watched it all together again. And uh, it's, okay. it's I, okay. I don't know. I, I'm not, <laughs> you said, I thought you were going to love this film after seeing it twice. No, uh, it's okay. Uh, it's weird because 
half of it's good and half of it's just bad and okay, it's weird how it tells the one mixed throughout or is there like a specific point where it gets good oh it's bad? mixed it's completely oh, mixed yeah, throughout. throughout there is no part where it's like it jumps too bad or it jumps too good it's just consistently going back and forth between the two and i'm like ah why can't you just either be good or be bad limbo miranda just pick a tone like <laughs> i don't know i didn't think it was great i thought andrew garfield was very very good yes i thought he did that. a very very good performance i i think he he sold me that he was this character jonathan larson i i really liked everything that he was doing fantastic performance um the framing device with with because originally tick tick boom was a one-man show where he, jonathan larson got on stage with a band and he sang all the songs and just told everything start to finish mm-hmm. then after he died, it was revived in 2000 or 2001 after Rent had become a thing. It was revived as a rewritten as a three person show. So it was John. It was the girl who was who was singing the parts of his ex-girlfriend and the guy who was singing the parts of his best friend. And they took that perspective, which I, I can understand. It is weird how often it goes back and forth between the two and sometimes it works and sometimes it just doesn't in my opinion i think some songs it works like the 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 argument song that they do Mm. between him and vanessa hudgens that's Mm -hmm. the best song in the movie for sure it is very good limo miranda did a very good job on that section i thought that was incredible going back and forth with those i loved it but i don't know the the I kind of wish they had just opened up with that one man show and just done that whole first song as the one man show and then kind of cut into the story and just kept it as the story and then just continued that way. Gotcha. Instead of cutting back and forth between the two, because it felt a little weird at certain points. Um, I mean, I can see that. I generally like the onstage performance, like cutting back and forth between it, just because it seemed like an interesting way to reflect on like how this character was thinking about these things in hindsight. Like I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. And it certainly works. Like, as you said, the argument song, that is the best part of the movie. That is great. Yes, that is just phenomenal. And it does work. You get like the tonal contrast between this upbeat, like hearted, like comedy song. And then the like emotional moment of these two people breaking up, which also had, I thought, some of the best acting from Garfield in it. I just like whenever he's in that sort of argument mode. But it happens like towards the end of social network as well. It's he's just so good. He's amazing when he does that stuff. And so that for me was definitely the the massive highlight. Um, and then as for the other, I don't know if it ever took me out of it when we went back to the onstage performance stuff. Mm. Um, like I thought that was mostly fine. What I didn't like was when they had the narration at the very end and very beginning, and they sort of spoiled the whole Jonathan Larson thing, which for me. Uh, I knew that he did rent. I didn't know that the man, which spoiler for real life events, that the man died like the day before the opening of Rent on Off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like that's so sad. It's tragic. He never got to see it. Like that is really, really quite sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wish they didn't say that from the beginning because then it would have made it more tragic because we're seeing the story of this man who dedicated so much of his time, poured so much of his life into this this play this musical that ultimately goes nowhere and then in order to salvage that he's like using that to create this new 
one man show tick tick boom mm-hmm. and it's showing that yeah he's like continuing on with that that eternal artistic struggle goal of trying to create things that may not end up going anywhere or connecting with anyone or getting produced but you're still doing it because you love it which obviously is relatable for people like us um and then revealing that he was able to put all that stuff into rent which became this massive phenomenon which everyone at least is aware of or at least can sing some of the songs from and then seeing that he wasn't even able to realize that at the end but he still did it like he still went through the process of creating the show tick tick boom and the show rent and he wasn't even able to enjoy the success of it but that didn't matter because he was doing it for the love of it not for whatever success came at the end of it if Mm -hmm. it ever did so like i thought that that message that they sort of had throughout would have been great if they saved that information until the very end of oh he was able to reach the heights of success but he wasn't there to see it but in a way he was still happy and fulfilled because it was the art of doing it and not it being done that he really loved so i don't know that to me also was a was not something i was too fond of but yeah yeah. how about other elements of the film what are some of the you said it was mixed so what are some of your highlights and lowlights i did not like the diner sequence you you put the apartment sequence as something that was underwhelming i thought that was fine but the diner was definitely low dude it was so bad (laughs) the problem with the diner something that i don't even think you noticed is that all the people that are singing in that scene they're all famous broadway performers like i think you recognize the hamilton people i but assume they're, they're all famous people like i was like they were focusing on these random people in this thing so i'm like i'm assuming these are cameos but i had no mm-hmm. clue who any of them were yeah but so they were in fact they like, were yeah, all famous, famous people, people from broadway. yeah yeah they were all famous people from broadway and i recognize maybe like four of them but I'm not well versed enough in Broadway to know all of them. Like I knew Cheetah Rivera, I knew Joel Gray, I knew the two Hamilton girls. I knew, of course, Lin Manuel Miranda in the one shot he's in. Right. <laughs> uh, I knew uh, uh, Andre De Shields, who is the he's the guy who is coming in to try and get a seat, and he's trying to get a, a reservation for eight. And he's like, it's not hard. That that guy is like, mm-hmm. like, it's not difficult math. That's Andre De Shields. He was in the uh hades town she's really great but yeah they're all famous broadway people and the people who are on the end in the the homeless people outfits that are dancing on the brick wall they were in the original rent so that was kind of like cool to see them in it but also it's supposed to be a one-man show and you're bringing in all these people to do this one song when it's originally a one-man show i feel like it takes away from the idea of like sort of the the grounded sense of it like it's supposed to be a very grounded musical it's supposed to be just a man in music and just trying to to show his appreciation for music and they it it's just it's the closest in this sequence is the closest they get to like an actual musical and it's like it's not supposed to be an actual musical it's not supposed to be this big showy thing it's just a guy and some instruments and he's just singing about this hard time in his life which most of the movie is for the rest of it but this is like just taking it and like just increasing obnoxious. I also didn't just didn't look good. No, it did not. Like it was I very like the idea of, I like the idea of pushing the wall down. Like sure, it's a cool idea, but it's just too showy for this specific musical of what it's supposed to be. Like 
what they did with the argument song about how it's just cutting back and forth and it's just using very subtle and very grounded and it's just the two of them and the music is great like that's perfect it's exactly what the rest of the movie should have been mm-hmm. but it wasn't and that's rough right yeah i definitely feel that <clears throat> i also think bradley whitford in this film which was kind of sad the timing of it with was Stephen Sondheim is his name? Yeah. 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 And he just recently passed away. Yeah. Very like sad. A couple of days after Tick Tick Boom dropped. And then the the recording at the very end when Stephen Sondheim leaves a message for Andrew Garfield's character is the actual Stephen Sondheim. Okay. I'm glad that that's the case because I was listening to it and I was like, is that supposed to be Bradley Whipper? Because that sounds <laughs> nothing like. <laughs> so I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Did Bradley I miss something terrible? <laughs> Yeah, no, so it's actually like, Stephen Sondheim. So it's kind of sad. I think this is the last thing he did before he died, probably, was record that. Yeah, and I know because apparently he was also reworking some of the stuff for West Side Story. So, Oh, really? Yeah. That is sad. It'll probably be attributed uh, to him. They'll probably be like for Stephen at the end I'm of sure. West Side Story. Yeah, I thought it was crazy that he was such a big part of this film, and then it the news just broke that he had pass away like once mm-hmm. i was watching it it's very sad yeah so i thought i thought that stuff was great i mean i love bradley whifford so i thought that was cool i also thought um the way that they dealt with the, the whole aids crisis mm-hmm. i thought was very good as well yeah jonathan larson was always good at writing stuff for that and i think mm-hmm. Lino miranda knows how to be tasteful about it i thought another negative about it just to, to pivot away the humor was really bad like it was not funny for most of the movie <laughs> And I think that's just Limo and Miranda. I don't think Limo and Miranda is just a very because most of the humor is not in the play, and the stuff that is in the in the play is actually kind of good. But Limo and Miranda is, is not a funny guy, and so the humor does fall flat. Like I, I very rarely laugh throughout uh, Hamilton when I watched that, and I did not laugh once when I watched it in the Heights. <laughs> Dang, tragic. Um, I thought where he was doing that, he was coming with some of those ideas in the the focus group i thought some of that stuff was funny but the very no. ending where you did the chub 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 something substitute yeah i was like that was not that, that was not as clever as it was very funny but, i thought it was all it, that's the problem is that this takes place in the 90s and it was very modern humor which right. is very odd it's it's it takes me out of it definitely like mm-hmm. that scene specifically too sure one other just to give a good comment about as well i thought the penultimate song the one where he was at the piano out when it was like raining or something mm-hmm. right after he had learned that information about his friend um, and then he was singing about his relationship with his friend like them as kids but then also them going into musical theater together and so at one part he's reflecting on his friendship with his his friend and at the other part he's reflecting on his love of this craft that he's hit a wall with mm-hmm. i thought that was great I thought like it was that, cool. I really enjoyed that. Like the way that the song was able to hit both of those two elements and it was able to like weave them together. Mm-hmm. But then it's also him you know, like falling back in love with this thing that just caused him so much anguish yeah. um, and is so connected to these relationships he has with these people around him in his life. I thought that was really well done. Like that mm-hmm. to me was the other massive high point of the film. Mm-hmm. I liked the the sequence where he's swimming. That song where he's swimming and he's thinking about his girlfriend. He's thinking about the music and he can't figure it out. And thinking about his girlfriend makes him figure out the song. And then he like sees it 
in the pool. I thought that was all really cool. I thought that was okay. No, I liked it a lot. <laughs> that was a little cheesy. I was like, okay. No, I, I liked it a lot. Music notes are coming out of the pool. I was like, eh. yeah, but the music that I was playing that. during that sequence was 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 like done well to the point where it connects perfectly. Right. Yeah. And it, it makes a cohesive thing. Gotcha. Yeah, but uh, there were definitely a lot of letdowns. Okay. This is the life. Bo, 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 bo. <laughs> That's the best song in the whole in the whole thing. For real? Yeah, it is. It is the best song. All right, so how would you rate this out of five? Uh, uh, I got uh, uh, diner cameos. <laughs> diner cameos yeah, is that really funny? I I couldn't think for of that anything. one. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I'm gonna go with. I was going back and forth because, uh, and I didn't touch on it too much. Maybe did a little bit there, but like that relatable story. Like, it is something that we can immediately connect with, like, his drive and the single-minded focus on getting this thing done for the workshop and, mm-hmm. like, other elements of his life are, like, falling away as he's focusing on that. I can definitely relate to that. And so that hit home. And some of the songs, I mean, as we touched on, were very effective from the musical standpoint, but also how it was serving the story. So I liked a lot of that stuff. Um, and Andrew Garfield, again, he was great. Like, he was... I hope he gets nominated for this. So at the this academy, is, this is why I wanted to skip Belfast and Arcane is because I'm pretty sure Benny Cumberbatch, Bill Smith, <laughs> and Andy Garfield are all set up to be nominated for best. Did you actor. call him Bill Smith? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to abbreviate all their names. I said Benny, <laughs> Bill, and Andy. <laughs> yeah, I think they're all shoe ins for a best actor nom. And I think maybe Denzel will probably get the fourth one and then someone else will get the fifth one. Maybe Leo for Don't Look Up or maybe, I don't know, uh, Jude Hill for Belfast. Who knows? Some, some <laughs> A fifth person will get out. But I think, I think the three heavy hitters are going to be Andy Garfield, Bill Smith, and Benny Cumberbatch. Which of the three performances did you like the most? I'm going to go with Andrew Garfield. Really? Yeah. I like, like it is a good role that Benedict Cumberbatch has in in power of the dog but ah no this was just something else what andrew was doing because it was always interesting it was believable man was really singing as well mm-hmm. like that stuff was was great and he doesn't get recognized enough like hasn't benny cumberbatch already been nominated before they all have oh they all have a garfield got nominated well for hacksaw ridge uh, leading hacksaw ridge that's incredible well he better win this time that's his only nomination. Because I want to win. But Will Smith also, people are going to want to put respect on his name for all the work he's done. But I don't think King Richard was enough. Like, he did embody that character. And you can see it in when you look at the comparisons, like in that one interview thing. Like, I watched it side by side. And he does embody that well. But I know, there were a lot of moments where I was like, oh, that's just Will Smith, like doing a Will Smith one-liner. Mm-hmm. With Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom. He was like, the I was character. Fully believing that, yeah, he was his character. Um, and so I'd just love to see him. But I'd also be fine if Benning Cumberbatch won. But I also think it'd be deserved. But I want Andrew Garfield to win. Also, Denzel could come out of nowhere and just take it for Tragedy Macbeth. That'd I be mean, wild. Macbeth is is a classic. I mean, you can't go wrong with Shakespeare in terms of performances. And Denzel is like top tier, bro. Denzel is perfectly cast in that. Right. So it's going to be hard to top that. Yeah, it'll be tough, but we'll see. We haven't mm-hmm. 
I don't know if it, they've even had screenings there for it, so I don't know. If, I think they have, but I haven't heard too much about I'm very performance for in it. it. So yeah, that's I'm gonna be a wicked that. Christmas, dude. On Christmas, I have to watch Don't Look Up, Tragedy Macbeth, something. Uh, the the Licorice Pizza is coming out oh, on yeah. Christmas. That's this is gonna be a great Christmas for movies, bro. I'm getting all the presents I want <laughs> for real. Um, so yeah, with this one, I will give it three point five. Yeah, I think I'm gonna give it a three. A three? Gotcha. Yeah. It's just disappointing. I don't know. Not not great. Didn't have fun watching it. Was even worse the second time. I was just that... bored the whole time. The second time. Just didn't want to be there. Wanted to leave, but was committed to sitting and watching it. Now we can talk about Belfast, which you and I watched this past week. We did. Kenneth Branagh. He has dra- dramatized his childhood, which is something that a lot of uh, directors like to do at an elderly point in their career, and he's pretty old. And uh, he has a very interesting childhood. He was raised Protestant in the Catholic neighborhoods of North Ireland when the Catholics and the Protestants were starting to become at war with one another in North Ireland, and a lot of the Catholics had to flee. And because his family was against the Protestant attacks on Catholics, his family also had to flee to avoid the warmongering Protestants. And this carried on until like, I mean, now, like it still goes on kind of <laughs> in a way, not not to the extent that it happens in this movie, but it's still going on. But it's uh, it's good. Like I, I, I will say I liked it a lot more than I thought that I would. Having seen the trailer, Yay. the trailer looked bad, but the movie was great. I thought the movie was fun. I liked the way it was shot. Except there was a couple shots where there's just no headroom, and I'm like, this is kind of weird. That's true. I did see that on one. <laughs> there was like five one, like, of them. I was very like, there's no headroom. Obvious shot. I was like, what the heck? You gonna give her some headroom? It was like, it was like just just tilt it up a bit, just 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 a <laughs> little bit, just tilt it up just a little bit. Like, what are you doing? Maybe it's intentional. I don't know. It just kind of seems odd in some of the shots. But uh, I think the world was built built out really well. I think the characters were well constructed. I mean, it's based on his real family, of course. Uh, Judy Dench and Siren Hines were perfect. They were great performances, greatly cast. It's weird that he's Steppenwolf. You said that after the movie ended, and I was like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but no, I thought he was great. I thought she was great. I thought they had fun doing the roles that they did. Playing yeah, that Irish was people. talking about the like heart of the movie in King Richard was those girls. The heart of the movie in this film is definitely the grandparents. Like their relationship with Buddy is so beautiful. I absolutely loved it. Every moment they were on screen was great. And you brought the, I think like some of our favorite zines are definitely involving them. Like when they're just sitting down and just talking. Yeah. And just talking. And he's telling them, like, oh, here's how you get the attention of that girl that you're pining for. Or when they're talking about love and they just get up and start dancing with each other. Mm-hmm. Like that's a fantastic. I like the idea of showing all this normal family interaction amidst all of this chaos that is happening in North Ireland. Mm -hmm. I like because that's Buddy's main attention. He's trying to focus himself towards his family and towards his friends and focus away from all of this uh, horrible, horrible things that are happening. And I think that's uh, I think it's a really good way because, I mean, it's based on Kenneth Branagh's actual childhood. It's based on him as a child. So this is just what he experienced. And I think it's pretty accurate. Like I think it's cool. I think it's honest, and I always like it when... That's the thing, is when I was watching this trailer, I was like, I'm worried that this won't be honest. I'm worried that it won't truly be an accurate representation of what was happening in Northern Ireland at the time. 
And I think it was close to it. Like, I think it was definitely from his perspective as a child. But the, that perspective of it was an honest perspective as opposed to uh, sort of like, like kept down in any way or lied about in any way. Kind of like King Richard is kind of like a little dishonest because it's withholding of certain information. Right. But I feel like Kenneth Branagh tells everything from his perspective, which is not everything, of course, but it is everything to the character. And that's why that character is the centerpiece. And I like that. I like that he does that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that was great. I also love I mean, as you said, like it does a very good job with this slice of life approach. Um, Because they could have gone a particular way where they made the whole central focus of the film this this conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics in the neighborhood. And that's certainly the backdrop for this. But there's so much more going on. Like a lot of the reasons that the father is trying to leave Belfast is in addition to the conflict that's going on and how that violence is making it uh, less safe is the whole taxes situation that they got going on. And they want to go to some other place in order to start a new life. But you see how there is such a big community here for Buddy, like where literally everybody knows him. I mean, you see him walking down the street um, and saying hi to like all the different neighbors and store owners. Hi, and, yeah, buddy. Hi, buddy. Hi, yeah, buddy. all that. <laughs> um, and we also see the mother, who I thought was great in this as well. Yeah, I thought Katrina she was fantastic. Um, she also has this attachment to this place and she knows that um, this is what her kids know. This is where they'll be most loved and most cherished, not some other place where they know nobody and they might get looked down upon um, because of who they are and their accents and all that jazz. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic that they included because they couldn't give too much of that to Buddy, obviously. like He's not going to be able to make an impassioned speech for why we should stay. We see him crying, though, when they tell him that they might leave, um, yeah. which is obviously, I mean, that's a child's response. Um, but we see through her. That was a great scene. It was, yeah. We see through her how she's arguing these reasons for them to stay. Um, and it definitely gives you that, like, gnawing feeling mm-hmm. as you progress throughout the movie. And you see the situation get worse and worse. And you're like, when are they going to have to pick up and leave? Um, so... That I thought was very well done. Um, as I said, the grandparent stuff was great. I love the crush storyline as well. There's a lot of good moments with that. Like that whole scene of him doing well in math and so he gets to move up in the seats. Mm-hmm. And then you see him there, like the number two spot. But then the girl he likes moved from one to three. So now she's behind him. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. I really love that. Um, and they do a lot of those shots, which I wonder what exactly the intention was. Because there's a lot of long takes where we're just focused on the face of the actor like the first one where buddy where he's at like the kitchen table and then the one after the riot where it's her she's like crying and she's talking about what they got to do like they had a lot of those moments which i which i thought was great to number one keep us feeling like okay these are real fully fleshed out people like we have to sit and watch and see what goes on Mm -hmm. as we would if we were in a real life conversation um and then also it lets the actor shine. So I was comparing that the whole time to House of Gucci, which also has a <laughs> lot of long shots. But then they're just not acting. They're just try- like barely trying. And I'm like, this is horrible and boring. But in this one, I was like, this is good. You know, 
Exactly. You're giving them actual direction. You're telling them what they need to be doing and how they need to be doing it. And they're following actual lines to a script and they're doing a good job. You know, it works in this movie. It works really, really well. So good for Kenneth Branagh for being a, a good older director as opposed to Ridley Scott, who is losing his touch. No, I mean, he still has his touch. We saw it the last duel. It's just yeah, I don't know yeah. what was going on with House of Gucci. He dropped the ball hard. Yeah. I think he put too much attention on the last duel. I think he was just stretched too thin, but we talked about that already. That's true. What we didn't talk about, though, in House of Gucci was one of the best moments, which was the absolute disgusted face Adam Driver had. <laughs> when he was looking at Lady Gaga up on the Swiss Alps. <laughs> he just goes, ooh. <laughs> yeah. That was so good. So funny. Um, But yeah, that was, I don't know what happened with House of Gucci. We'll see if that ends up. Some people I had heard, I had like looked around on House of Gucci to see some other perspectives on it. And some people were saying that it was trying to be campy. No. Like it was trying to intentionally lean into that. And I didn't no. think so. I thought it was trying to be serious. It was trying to be way too serious. Yeah. But maybe, who knows, maybe that was his intention. But again, I don't think. It feels like everybody know. was trying to be campy except for Ridley Scott. Who right. was trying to make it serious, which is the problem. But Lady Gaga, I think, was also trying to make it serious. Yeah, her too. Because she ah, wanted this to be her movie. like big, big moment. And she's talking about, I saw some interviews where she was talking about, yeah, we have to see, did, did she start out as a murderer? Or was she brought to this point where this was the only option for her? And how did she get to that point? Like she was treating this like a serious character study. And I was like, no, this, <laughs> this was not the way to do it. No, it's too bizarre a story to do it like that. You just got to take it with a grain of salt and be funny about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's just too funny not to. It's just so weird. For sure. But Belfast, Belfast is great. You guys should all see Belfast. I had a great time. I was engaged. I was laughing. My heart was full of all the Irish sentiments. The Irish. The Irish. It was lovely. Indeed. I had a great time. I, I enjoyed it a lot beautiful how many if you can't be good be careful <laughs> out of fives uh i'll give it a four i will also give it a four i like mm. it again there's a particular moment which we can't really talk about because we'll spoil it but where i was having that lump in my throat i was like oh god because i cared i cared about these characters and what was going on with them yeah i know what you're talking about yeah i know what you're saying I get you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel you. I and when that happens, it's got to get bumped up. Like, there's definitely, like, a treat that with a lot of weight. If it's able to do something like that, either keep me, like, smiling throughout, which it did for a lot of stuff. Like, when they were in the movies with his grandma, and they're watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or something. Um, like, that stuff was great. Kept me smiling. And then those more emotional moments when it wants to make mm -hmm. you get a bit sad. Yeah, and twist your heart a bit. It does. So. I felt it. So this is Kenneth Branagh's best movie since Hamlet. I agree. Effective filmmaking. Good job on everybody's part. Bro, Jude Hill as Buddy. Mm -hmm. He's championing the family name. He did us proud. Yep. So I was thinking about this while I was watching the movie and a little bit after. Do you think? Because neither of us picked Belfast for our Oscar draft. Do you think this is going to be the one that got away? It might be. And I knew because I tried to mention some of the ones that were like on the radar, but we hadn't really heard anything about them. And Belfast was one Belfast of them. Was it's because it won TIFF. And I'm like, oh, when I watched it, I was like, it is good enough, but also slightly Oscar baity enough to win Best Picture. It is. And it's got it's got the black and white. It's got mm -hmm. 
this particular story. It's autobiographical. Um, so it's a more palatable version of Roma, essentially. The only so, thing, the only way that it won't win Best Picture is if Nightmare Alley just blows the competition out of the water. But I don't really think it will. I'm reading the book and it doesn't, it seems like it'll be really good, but it doesn't seem like it's Best Picture material. So I think Belfast, early, early Oscar predictions, I think Belfast is going to come in clutch and just sweep it at best as Best Picture. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll see because it's Nightmare Alley based on the trailers. I didn't think that it seemed like that type of movie that would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think Nightmare Alley will. And based on everything else we've seen, I don't know if they'd give it to Macbeth. Belfast seems to be It would be, be funny if Ken Branagh lost to a Shakespeare movie. That would. <laughs> that would <laughs> be hilarious. Um, <laughs> His own Macbeth didn't win, but this one did. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But yeah, I think Belfast or like Licorice Pizza is getting a lot of good Oh, you're right. Good I didn't think about Licorice Pizza. It's about time Paul Thomas Anderson got something. Right. He has nothing. He has eight nominations and no wins. And he's an amazing filmmaker. So I hope I hope it's good. So I'm those two or I'm honestly still repping West Side Story. I think it could Best come Picture. Through. Best Picture. Best Picture. Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to watch it and then shit on it in front of you when you haven't seen it. And then I can't wait for us to do the Oscar show when West Side Story wins. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh. West Side Story has won 12 out of 12 Oscars. I will slip my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. There we go. Belfast, four out of five for both of us. Definitely should go see it. And mm-hmm. I think it will be a prominent contender for the Oscars. Especially Best Picture. Now I'm gonna talk about Arcane for a little bit. Uh, you haven't seen this, Ryan. I, I think nope. you really should. I, I really do the pitch. Just give a three minute pitch for me and the audience. Why should we see Arcane if we don't know what it is? All right. So I know absolutely nothing about League of Legends. I've never okay. played it. I know nothing about the lore. I don't. I don't care about it in the slightest. <laughs> this show's coming out. I'm thinking, great. They're doing a show based on a video game. That sucks why are they why are they doing this why would they do this we know that video game material never comes out good it comes out spencer watches the first because it comes out it came out in uh i think it was week by week it was three arcs so three episodes came out each week and spencer watches the first arc and he comes to me and he goes it's brilliant it's amazing i (laughs) it's it's beyond all recognition i'm like there's no way the league of legends (laughs) tv show cannot be mind-blowingly good so i sit down the second arc has already come out i watch the first arc blows my mind i can't (laughs) like the reason that is so good is because your expectations are so low going into it my expectations were so low for a league of legends show i was like this is gonna be mediocre at best and just the animation is beautiful the story is brilliantly written it's it's the characters are so well crafted. The world is so well formed. The arcs are so good. I just it, to me, it did feel a little compressed, like they're telling a lot of story in a very short amount of time, which can be a weakness. But it is just done so well that I just don't even care. I'm just so invested. I just I can't even I can't even believe it's this good. Like it's it's mind boggling dude like it should not be this good in the slightest so the basic story is you have this city called piltover in the league of legends world and magic exists in this world but only magic users can use it and they're pretty much not existent at this point like you you never see them at all 
And this guy named Jace is it, well. The, the basic structure of the city is that there's the rich on the hilltops, mm-hmm. and then down across the bridge is the subjected poor who are sort of like treated like shit. Of course, like there's there's of course in any fantasy world there's going to be that sort of uh, disparity. It just it breeds good tension, and it works in this right. show as it does in any. And so the basic two plots are you have these two sisters. This is, this is the main plot is uh wait i don't want to know too much of the story i'm not i'm just if I'm you're just, saying i'm just telling you like the basic plot i'm telling you the basic plot at the beginning of the first episode just the basic plot is that there's these two sisters powder and vi who are characters in the game and they are part of the poor and they're just trying to survive in this city and at the same time there's this character named jace who's also a character in the uh, in the Legends game, yeah, yeah, and he's trying to revolutionize technology, basically. And this is, and he's part of the rich, and so these are both happening at the same time, and then they collide eventually. But I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing. Like the character arcs are so well written, the the animation is brilliant. Like there's a part at the second to last episode, and it's a fight sequence between two characters, and. It's about to be this big dramatic fight and then it cuts to because the whole thing is animated kind of like Spider-Verse style where it's 3D but sort of 2D at the same time. Right. And, it, and the the action just cuts to like straight up 2D animation just like and it's just like a little bit like campy and cartoonish. And I'm like, wow, this isn't what I expected, but it's amazing. It's just such <laughs> a, a great choice creatively and I absolutely love it. But oh my God, dude, you have to watch it. You have to watch. It. I'm worried that I'm building up too much, but it is <laughs> it is genuinely great. But just just remember that it is a League of Legends show. Like that okay. is the idea is that they are characters from League of Legends and they're building out like it's building up to what League of Legends is. It's gotcha. basically what it Give is. Give it some I need to hear some comparisons to other things that you've seen. Like where would you compare it to Legend of Korra or Avatar or uh, other animated shows? Of course it's not as good as Avatar. Like it just can't be. But right. It is better written than most of Legend of Korra. Not season three of Legend of Korra, because that's like almost on par with Avatar. But it is better than the other three seasons of Legend okay. of Korra. In terms so of like close to season three of Korra. Yeah, in terms of like a, a full season arc of these characters, as well as setting up the next season, it does a very good job. It's balancing a lot of storylines at once and like two dozen characters at the same time. And it's doing it in such a, a rich and fulfilling way that is so fascinating interesting and i absolutely love it like it, it knows how to balance them perfectly and also gotcha. vi is played by Haley steinfeld bro she's cleaning up she's cleaning up she's doing everything but i i if i had to rate arcane season one mm, i would give it a four and a half out of five whoa four and a half yeah that's hey, crazy I, it's missing that half because uh what I love about it is that it is intensely stylistic, but my biggest problem with with it is that it's not a style that I'm like a hundred percent a fan of. But I am respectful of it because it is a hundred percent dedicated to that style. Like it gotcha. does not veer from it slightly. There are a couple moments where it's just awkward. For the most part, I love it, but there are a couple moments where it's awkward. Also, the I theme see. song is Imagine Dragons, <laughs> <laughs> and so I have to skip it every time. Is it a new, like, original it's song? A, yeah, it's an original song, yeah. Fascinating. They're also, I'm going to spoil this because it's not a big spoiler. 
there is a montage and i think the it's in the second arc i think the first episode of the second arc there's a montage where the characters are just walking through oh it's the second episode of the second arc so it's halfway through the show the characters are walking through the poor area and it's just a montage of them like doing stuff and imagine dragons is just in it what? like they just make what? an appearance like they're animated into the show and they're performing so it's like a music video almost with imagine Why? dragons and that's so, the that is one of the parts where the stylism falls off for me. Like I get the intense dedication to it, but ooh, it is ridiculous. It is it, that that is like oh, it's 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 almost so bad that it's good. Like it's so bad that it's good. Like it makes it it's still good. Like it's still great. Gotcha. But it's bad. But the rest of the show is amazing. It's, All right. You need to watch it. Like we'll it, see. It, we'll you see. can't believe it's I, only it's only nine episodes. I know. I'll probably get to nine. It. But. And you can watch it in arc, so you can just watch the first three episodes, and then you can wait a while, and then watch the next three. That's true. I mean, we'll see. I'll get around to it, but soon I gotta start my Attack on Titan. Oh, rewatch. Me too. I mean, first Which watch. Be... Oh, yeah, right. So that'll take us some time. But I mean, yeah, it seems like it's brief, and if it's as good as you're saying, it seems mm-hmm. like it'll be a good time. Should also catch up on Demon Slayer. Season two has been coming out. Demon Slayer? Oh, you're saying you should catch up on I it? should, yeah. You should as well. You should watch it. <laughs> when you're done Sounds with like, Attack on Titan, that's what you should watch next. And we'll see. Because we also got to watch like Cobra Kai in tandem with... Oh, well, Attack I don't have to catch up on Cobra Kai. I just have to watch... The I was just saying season. the new season, though, when it comes yeah. out. Which I think is at the end of the year. But anyway, shifting from things that we're going to be seeing to something that we kind of saw, Hawkeye, which has released three episodes... And I only watched one of them because <laughs> I thought it them? was bad. What the I heck? didn't like it. I did not like it. I was bored. The first episode is the worst one. Clint I mean, you could say that about any of the Disney Plus shows. The first episode is typically the worst one. Which is a shame because they need to not do that because I just didn't. <laughs> I was like, I could watch Hawkeye. This was me. <laughs> this is my version of not watching Power of the Dog. <laughs> I was like, I could watch the next episode of Hawkeye or I could just not. So I chose not to. So I have nothing to say. And I don't want you to spoil the next ones. Like, I'll get around to it. But it was just, it was just boring. And it was crazy because I like Haley Seinfeld. But uh, it just I'm was gonna, not interesting. I'm going to push back. So first off, I love anything that's Christmas themed. Like, I'm a sucker for it. I mean, that's cool. But I was like, I just can't help the myself. rest of it is dressing on something that's not very good. No, it's great. The whole plot is... Clinton has to get back to his family for Christmas, which is great. I love that. Uh, the the first episode is definitely like a lot of setup, which is boring. And it's a lot of in your face kind of setup, which is boring. But uh, I think it's funny. I think it has moments where it can be funny. I am engaged with the characters. I like Kate Bishop. I like Clint Barton, even though I'm not a big Jeremy Renner fan. Uh, and so I'm like engaged in their uh, interaction. I'm excited for the next episode that's coming out tomorrow we're recording this on a tuesday it's coming out tomorrow so i'm excited to see that one the third episode the action is good and it does some cool stuff like i'm telling you it's going to get better and better and better i'm sure it is but it just uh, it would have taken a lot for me to watch the next one which i imagine now that clint and kate actually have run into each other like it happens at the end of well what sucks what sucks is that the second episode also isn't that good (laughs) so you're not in for a great treat but the third episode (laughs) is engaging and fun it just feels like this should have just been a movie it feels like like the first episode was so stretched out for things that really could have been done very quickly 
and it kind of torqued me off. It probably could have been a movie, but then they would have had to do a whole thing with promotion and like a whole thing with with getting it in theaters and in know, international distribution. It's just easier to, just to release it on some Disney Plus. Respect on Clint Barton and just had a Hawkeye movie. I mean, this is a okay i suppose we'll see how it ends i, I will say though towards the end, i feel like they wouldn't have gone christmasy with it if it was a movie well that's not true they went christmasy with it for iron man 3 but that that's felt true. weird this one it came it out feels, in summer yeah that's all <laughs> could have timed it to this one feels very like solidly a christmas a christmas like well i guess show but i i like that a lot about it i'm engaged a movie would have been interesting but i also feel like i mean it would have been going up against spider-man it would have been too much at once. Just make it a TV show. It's fine. I'm okay with it. I think it will get better. I think because he's episode three. There isn't a moment that I would have taken out. There, there was not like a moment where I'm like, this is boring. Let's get rid of it. I'm engaged through and through. And I think the, the last three episodes are going to do the same thing for me. So I am pro Hawkeye so far. Not super pro. If I have to <laughs> rate Hawkeye, I would give it three and a half so far. Well, a three so far, but I think by the end of it, I'll be at a three and a half. Which gotcha. is not the worst I've ever rated their Marvel shows on Disney+. Plus. Right. We'll have to I go think that through... Was, it's definitely better than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. We can do, on our like, yearly roundup thing that mm-hmm. we do, our look back, we can look at Rank the, the Marvel shows. shows. Yeah. yeah. This will probably be second from the bottom. I don't know. I wasn't a big WandaVision fan as much as other people were. Yeah. We'll it depends that. on how this this one pans out because Loki's definitely at the top, and uh, what's it called? Falcon and Winter Soldier is definitely at the bottom. Yeah. And so tying for second and third, these two are gonna fight. But anyway, that is our Neapolitan November for the Scrab Bag review. We hope you enjoyed it. That is all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at the box office show at gmail.com our main title theme of the show is sundown by joseph mcdade be sure to listen the next episode we're putting out is going to be about the raimi spider-man trilogy Ooh, we're gonna have some special guest stars on that we're gonna be i, I still have to watch all three of them i haven't started that at all i've <laughs> only got a couple of days to do it so i'm gonna have to party through those as well as the power of the dog as well as the christmas movies so make sure you watch our the christmas movies stay up to date on that uh as today I was recording this tonight is going to be Joyeux Noel and then I think tomorrow is Bad Santa and then White Christmas and Black Christmas so make sure you go on our Instagram give us a follow like that uh, that post we made about the 25 days of Christmas and check out our story we'll post them daily which movie to watch which day you're going to love it I'm loving it I'm having a great time Spider-Man next week have a good time goodbye goodbye